Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, today we're going to start a new series on Elisha, and it's really appropriate that we start it while we're fasting because Elisha is asking for something that I think all of us, uh, in one way or another, would love to see God do more in our life. Maybe you've never heard of Elisha. Elisha was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, so don't feel bad if you've never heard of him, but he was certainly a great man of God. Although he was, um, he raised a boy from the dead and did more miracles than any other Old Testament prophet than Moses, he's known primarily for two things. First of all, he followed a man by the name of Elijah. So Elijah was a prophet. He was taken up into heaven, as we're going to read about today. And Elisha was his successor. And the second thing that stands out about Elisha is he asked Elijah, who was really outside of Moses, the greatest Old Testament prophet, Elisha says to Elijah, I would like to have a double portion of the anointing that is on your life. I would want it on my life. And it's that whole issue of asking God for more that we're going to look at today. In fact, we've titled the whole series Times Two because Elisha not only asked for a double portion, but Elisha received proof that God had given it to him. And at the end of his life, when you read the account, you find that Elijah did eight miracles and Elisha did 16. He did twice as many miracles, all because... Elisha was a man who wanted more. Elisha was a man who believed God wanted to do more. Which really speaks to us in the fast. What do you believe about God? What do you believe God's heart is for you? What do you believe God's heart is for, for the things you're fasting about? What is it you believe God's heart is for you in your life? Do you believe that there's just some people like Elijah and they get all of the anointing and, and nobody else gets any? Or do you believe that for the person who wants more, there is more? Elisha is an example of that. And as we're fasting, we're praying to see God do more. We want more of his presence. We want more of his power. We want more of his working in our own life and in the church. And the good news is God delights in that desire. He's not put off. He's not like, what? I mean, can't you just be happy with what you've already got? God delights when people are hungry for him. When they're hungry for more of his work in their life. Because it's not just God working through you, it's God working in you. And so as we read this story, I want faith to fill your heart. And as we're now way into the fast, we've got eight more days of fasting. I, I'm in 
challenging you and encouraging you that in the next seven days, you would dial it in. You would say, you know what? I am going to believe God for more in my life. I'm going to believe God desires to do more. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit because I believe this. God speaks to people. And a lot of times when people aren't listening closely or because of what he speaks, it seems so, so uh, much more than they could have imagined that they think it's just them or they're just making it up. When in fact, God is the one who has put that desire in their heart. So let's begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to read a lot of scripture to set the stage. We'll just walk through it. I'll make a few comments, and then we'll uh, draw some application from the text. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind. So Elijah is one of only two people in the Old Testament that did not die a natural death. Enoch being the first, he walked with God and was not because God took him. God translated him right up into heaven. And he was a person walking with God and pleasing God in the Hebrew are the same word. So when you're walking with God, you're pleasing God. When you're pleasing God, you're walking with God. And the writer of Hebrews draws this application about Enoch. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could translate it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to walk with God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who diligently or earnestly seek him. God desires to show himself powerful in your life. And when you're walking by faith, you believe that. When you're walking by faith, you understand that there is a powerful God who delights to show himself powerful. Here is Elijah, on the other hand, and he has had a powerful ministry, and God has revealed to him he's going to take him up to heaven. And Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So Elisha is essentially his helper, his servant. He's serving him. That's all he does. In fact, later we're going to read about Elisha, and he's known as the one who poured water on Elijah's hands. You see, there's something to be said about the faithfulness of just serving. There's something about just being around people that know more about God than you know, and, and rather than trying to compete with them in that moment, just serving them and saying, you know what, I'm learning just by watching. So here is Elisha. He's walking with Elijah. They're on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So here's Elisha and he's saying, listen, for 10 years, I have followed you. For 10 years, I've been faithful to you. And if you think now at the end, that's going to stop, you got another thing coming. I'm not taking my eyes off you. Watch this. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? So not only does Elijah know it, Elisha knows it, and there are companies or groups of prophets that know it. Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. 
And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and then two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha replied, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elijah said, you've asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And as they were walking along and talking together, wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that conversation? Suddenly, chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now just a lot of pictures show him riding in the chariot. doesn't say he rode in the chariot. It says there was a chariot. It says he went up in a whirlwind. So we don't know exactly what that was like, but he is taken up into heaven. Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He said, what does that mean? That is the same as saying, Elijah, you were the strength. You were the stability of Israel. Now what are we going to do? That's kind of where he's at. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. What is he doing? It's just this sign of grief that now his mentor is gone. But then he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, that's an interesting story, isn't it? It's a fascinating story. As we look at it, what I want to do is I want to point out three things that stand out to me in that story. The first one is this. God does extraordinary things through ordinary people, which is really great news. And that'd be a great place for a loud Amen. God does extraordinary things through ordinary people because that works out to all of our advantage, right? Here's the thing about Elijah. We don't know anything about him. 
We know only this. It says in 1 Kings 17, 1, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead. We don't even know where it is. Scholars, uh, you'll see maps where they put it on there. They really do not know where it is. All we know is he was from somewhere east of the Jordan in the area of Gilead, and that was occupied by, by Israel. And so he's from east of the Jordan. That's all we know. When we're introduced to Elisha, he also is from east of the Jordan, but his background, outside of the fact that he, he is from a wealthy family, we don't know anything else about him. He is what you'd call an ordinary person. God uses ordinary people. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not. In my Bible, I put John and Debbie beside that. God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. And that's not just true preachers. He wants to do extraordinary things in your life through you. And why does he choose ordinary people? So that no one can boast, right? Here's Elisha. He's as ordinary as Elijah. We meet him in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14. He, Elijah, replied, so here's Elijah, and I want to just set the stage for you here. Elijah, while he is a great man of God, he calls down fire from heaven, not once, not twice, but three times. He raises the dead. He does extraordinary things, but he's an ordinary person. In fact, when we come to this point, he is being chased by Jezebel. She's threatening to kill him, and now he's running for his life. He's given to depression. He's given to discouragement. He's, he's given to a, a, a pity party in the presence of the Lord. Angels have fed him, but he still is really just focused on himself. Ever been focused on yourself? And then you think, if you get a hold of yourself, well, wow, that's not good. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm too self-absorbed. I mean, you know, you think, how can God use you if you're focused on yourself? And here's Elijah, and he is very self-absorbed. You can only conclude that from reading this. You say, well, but he went through a lot. But he's a person just like we are. You see, we, we err if we think somehow the people in the Bible were different than we are. They did extraordinary things, but they were ordinary people. He's saying, I've been zealous for you, God. He's complaining to God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. You just want to get your violin and just start playing as you read that. You know, he's just, he's having a pity party. And the Lord says this. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, 
from Abel Meholah, which is on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu put to death, and you escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death, and you escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve. So God's going to give him, he's going to straighten out his thinking. Listen, you think you're alone? Ha, ha, ha. You're not. I have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and all those mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went there from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. So what you have here is you have, you know, if you've ever been out to western Kansas, you've seen the big dryland farmers, and, you know, wheat harvest is a sight to behold because they'll have like 10 combines going side by side, and they'll, they'll just take on these massive fields, and, and they're just harvesting wide swaths. This is, this is the, uh, before combines, this is like the big dryland farmer here. He's got 12 yoke of oxen. Usually he had one ox and a, and a plow. That's all he had. He has two per plow. So there, and, and there are 12 yoke of oxen, and Elisha is driving himself the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. No explanation. No, no interaction. No, like, today is your lucky day. God has selected you to help me. None of that happens. All Elijah does is throw the cloak on him. Instantly, though, Elisha knows, oh my goodness, he is inviting me to follow him. He, and, and when he's inviting me to follow him, it's because he thinks I can learn to do what he does. This is a big deal. In his wildest dreams, he never imagined it. No doubt he grew up hearing about, about Elijah and the powerful things he had done, and he was from nearby, and all of a sudden, that person who he's never met comes up, puts the cloak on him, and watch what happens. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, let me just say this. This phrase, there's no hidden meaning. It's like, you, you wonder what Elijah is like. He's a person just like us, James says. He's just been told by God to anoint Elisha to follow him. He, we have no record he ever anointed him. In fact, he didn't do any of the other two things either. You say, well, what, what do you make of that? I don't know what to make of that. I'm just saying, he didn't do it. He puts a cloak over him, and now all of a sudden Elisha says, hey, do you mind if I go kiss my mom and dad goodbye? And you can just picture Elijah saying, God, really? That's, you gave me a mama's boy? And he's like, what have I done to you? I mean, what have I done? I mean, I guess. You don't, there's no positive interaction there at all. So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. You know, that's like taking a big John Deere combine, not one, but two, and blowing them up. I mean, it's just like, kaboom, and everybody parties. I mean, you have a potluck, you have a barbecue, a cookout to watch the combines burn. I mean, this is what is happening here. To put it in our day and age, it's like crazy. He's killing the ox. He tears up the uh, equipment. They have a party. They all eat. Then he sets out to follow Elijah, and he became his attendant. Very, very interesting. 
When it comes to Elijah, listen, he's a man just like us. James chapter 5, look at this. Elijah was a man just like us. Homopathes in the Greek, made of the same stuff. Got discouraged, got depressed, felt sorry for himself, got afraid and ran. I mean, he's just like us. And yet, he prayed earnestly it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. You say, well, that was God's will. Well, listen, James is very clear. God's will is it doesn't rain, but if Elijah doesn't pray, it's not happening. Because who does God give the credit to for the rain not coming? Elijah's prayers. He prayed earnestly. He prayed in his praying. He he prayed fervently, and then he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. So here he is. He's, he's He's a very human person, but he does extraordinary things. Why? Because God delights to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. And I'm just simply saying there's too many of you who count yourself out in what God wants to do because you're like, who am I? And what am I? And how could that happen? I mean, if I'm Pastor Kurt or I'm Pastor Tammy, maybe I could do it, but I can't do it. I mean, it's not me. If I'm Pastor David, Pastor Brandon, if I'm whoever you want to name, I could do it, but that's not me. And God says, I know it's not you. And that's why I want to use you, because I want to do extraordinary things, because when I do extraordinary things through ordinary people, I get the credit. God gets the credit. Are you with me on that? So don't count yourself out. Don't say, I can't do it. So here here is Elijah, and and, uh, God is going to use him in an amazing way. And yet, we also see this in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 10, Elijah, Elisha, comes to him and says, hey, I'd like a double portion. Now, what, what, what would you expect somebody to say? You would expect them to say, wow, that's awesome. You know, I mean, I'd, I have to be honest. Whether it's my kids or not, whoever succeeds me, I'd hope they stand on my shoulders. I hope they go farther, faster, that they accomplish more. I would, I would love it. Have twice the ministry. I'm happy for you. You don't quite get that feeling here. I'd like to have a double anointing. And Elijah's like, really? So you want to be twice the prophet I've been? Really? Well, all I can say is that's a hard thing, and I am not going to guarantee it'll happen. In fact, I'm not even going to pray about it. I'm going to leave that totally in God's hands, and I'm going to put it to you this way. If you see me when I'm taken up, then okay, but if not, Snooze, you lose. I mean, that's, it's about as indifferent a response as you can possibly get. I'm just saying, we don't see these guys this way, but they are that way. Why? They're human. And Elisha is as human as Elijah. In fact, he is going to get the mantle. He's going to go to the Jordan River and said, where now is the God of Elijah? Strike the water. The water's going to part. I mean, it's an amazing day. He's going to go to Jericho. They're going to say, the water's bad. It's been bad for a long time. He's going to say, give me a bowl of salt. He's going to throw it in the water. The water's going to be healed. It is still today wonderful water. And then watch what happens. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. And as he's walking along the road, some youths came out of town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. Whoever says scripture is not entertaining, you just haven't read. You haven't read it. I mean, this is like crazy. 
He turned around, looked at them, and called a curse down on them. I mean, somebody's got their grumpy pants on. I mean, are you serious? You have just healed a city's water supply. You have just gotten a double portion of anointing, and now you can't be gracious enough to say, so people are going to call me bald. I, I don't have hair, so I am bald. I mean, you would think he would think that way. I mean, remember when James and John were with Jesus in Luke chapter 9, and the Samaritan village wouldn't, wouldn't allow them to spend the night there? And James and John, Jesus had a nickname for them, Boanerges, Sons of Thunder. And they, when they see the Samaritan village is not going to respond, they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from hell? We'll crisp these people. And Jesus rebukes them. So what's up with this? He called a curse down on them in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. I mean, you can hardly imagine Jesus doing that. I'm just simply saying, an ordinary person with a hair-trigger tr hair temper? I mean, you'll see this come up again and again in his life, this indifference at times to the condition of people, and yet God responded to the curse and sent the bears. Why? Let me put it to you this way, because I think there's a real important lesson for us in this. The good news is God chooses ordinary people. But the reality is none of them are perfect. Now, I'm not talking about overt sinfulness, okay? So I'm not saying he doesn't care what people do. But we, in the words of Paul, we have this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You know what the word for earthen vessels is? Chamber pots. You know what a chamber pot is? Um, you know, that was, they used those right up to the time cell phones were invented. And then, you know, I mean, no, listen, a chamber pot is what you used when you didn't have indoor plumbing. You kept it in the room at night. So if it was cold or you, you didn't have to go outside. Paul's saying, what are we? We're, we're chamber pots. And yet God puts his treasure, his spirit in us. It's Paul's way of saying we're ordinary. Not many wise, not many noble, not many influential, and none of them perfect. I just, I just want to say, and I feel way more comfortable preaching this now that I've announced the transition. I feel like I have a great liberty to say a lot of things that maybe before could have appeared to be self-serving. If you're looking for the perfect pastor, you will never find him, and I'm not him. And if you put anybody up on a pedestal, you will ultimately be disappointed because we're ordinary people, all of us, not just me, you. And, and granted, we should become more like Christ as we spend time with him, but God uses ordinary people. He chooses ordinary people. They make mistakes. They might get upset. They might say something unkind. They might have unusual idiosyncrasies. But that does not mean it's okay to criticize. 
Because when someone is anointed, the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit is resting on them. And the way that works is God is in them, on them, and working through them in a way where it's hard to draw the line between the person and the anointing. I'm just telling you that's how that works. And you may not like what they did, but you have to respect the presence of God on their life. Again, I'm not talking about overt sin. Overt sin, rebuke an elder publicly. I'm talking about humanity. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that we ought to be big enough to say, listen, who says we have to agree on every single thing? I'm not talking about major doctrine. I'm talking there's some close-handed issues. Jesus died for our sin. Close-handed. There's no negotiation. He's the only way to heaven. Close-handed. No negotiation. But on the other hand, what you think about, about issues of communion, what you think about issues of, of uh, all kinds of things we could name, can't you be open-handed? And, and you have to be careful because what happens, and you see this, you see this principle done over and over again in Scripture. It's as if God is saying, and take this serious. Remember Miriam and Aaron, they criticize Moses, their brother, and say, who do you think you are? Why do you always get a lead? And what does God do? He strikes Miriam with leprosy for seven days. He says, who do you think you were to criticize my servant? And then remember Dathan and Abiram, they led David from the tribe of Reuben, and they led this rebellion against Moses. And what does God do? The earth opens its mouth and swallows them alive. And then remember Korah, he and the Levites are like, why do you get to set yourself up? And they challenge him. And again, it's this principle of when, when there's an anointing, you have to be careful what you do. Listen, I mean, the psalm, this is all over. It's right there. Why does, why does that happen? Because God is saying, listen, my hand is on this man, and I don't want you to criticize him and he honors the curse, though he may not agree with what happened. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. All I'm saying is that you may not agree. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not a place for correctly confronting sinful behavior. But when people attack other people who have the anointing of God on them, you're, you're treading on, you're skating on thin ice. It's a dangerous thing to do. I, I mean, I feel like I can say this now. I've already announced my, my uh, transition, so I feel like I'd say a lot of things now, but always before I felt we're self-serving, but now I'm just saying it's, it's, it's not good to go home and have the preacher for dinner. Some of you are like, uh, did somebody tell him what I just said? Yes. No. <laughs> to criticize or to malign. Again, I'm not, that doesn't give the, the man of God or the person with the anointing a blank check that allows them to be free from, but, but there's a way to do it. It's, it's Matthew 18. If your brother offends you, go to him privately just between the two of you and talk about it. But you don't go online, and you don't go to your friends, and you don't go to your family, and you don't go and attack people, because if the anointing of God is on them at all, then 
what God is saying in this is you have to be careful because if the Spirit of God rests on them, then you, when you attack them, God takes it as you're attacking his spirit. Let me give it to you in this principle. Honoring the anointing leads to being in the spirit, which leads to faith, which leads to miracles. Dishonoring the anointing leads to the flesh, because now all of a sudden you're doing something that isn't pleasing to the Lord. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit isn't within a million miles of that. And if he's not near that, then what do you have? You have unbelief. And often that's what happens. Well, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. You know, all that stuff. And that leads to no miracles. Listen, God delights in using ordinary people. God delights in using you. But let's be careful about criticizing. So take it away from me and put it on any other ministry you want. Be careful about criticizing people who are used by God. You may, not, you, you may not agree with everything they say. You may, you may say, well, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't say it that way. That wouldn't be me. But listen, if God is using them and the hand of God is on them, then be very, very careful about what you do. Number two, God places desire in our heart. This is such an interesting thing. Look at it in chapter 2, verse 9. When they crossed... Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. He said, let me inherit a double portion of the spirit that's on you. I believe he said it with enthusiasm. I think he was like, I want what you have. Where did that come from? Is that raw ambition? I don't think so. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has placed eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, I think there is something inside us. And I, I think there's a sense that primarily I would say it means we're going to live forever. There's a sense you, that this life's not all there is. Yet I also believe a part of what eternity is, is God has a purpose for us. God created us for a purpose. We all sense this. And with that purpose, our desires, that as we're exposed to his word and we're exposed to the Holy Spirit and we're exposed to his working, it creates in us this desire to be more for him and do more for him. Doesn't it? That's from the Lord. As Elijah's watching Elisha, he, or, or as Elisha's watching Elijah, I knew that would happen, um, he's saying, I want to do that. And there's something inside him that says, God must have had him choose me so I could. Psalm 37 puts it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. You see, when you're putting God first, then God's speaking to your heart. God's working in your heart. I'm just simply saying that for some of you, you have these desires in your heart, and you've been dismissing them when I'm here to tell you they're from God. And you've been selling yourself short. Well, who am I? I'm just, I'm a nobody. Why? How could I, how could that be? How could that happen? All these things we say to ourselves and the enemy loves it because the last thing he wants you to believe is that God saved you on purpose for a purpose. And before the world began, God had plans for you that if you knew them, you'd never want to be anybody but you. And you'd want to be all that you could be for him and for his glory. His plan for you is more than you could even begin to imagine. He loves you more than you can imagine. He has a plan for you that will blow your mind if you just say, God, speak to me and then believe it. And some of you have been struggling in that. I'm simply saying as we fast and we wrap up the fast, say, God, is that you? Are you really speaking to me? And then say yes. 
and watch what he'll do. I mean, here is Elisha, and he has this desire. I believe it's from God. But here's the way it works. Once you, once you identify a desire as being from God, the enemy will challenge it. Watch what happens here. So interesting. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know it, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it. They repeat it again. You know what's happening here? It's not clear in the English, but it is very clear in the Hebrew. They come out and they say this, do you know that God's going to take your rank from you today? Elisha, you know why you get any respect at all from anybody? It's because you hang out with Elijah. You think you're all that in a bag of chips because you hang out with him. But you know what? You're going to get a lesson today, buddy, because when Elijah's gone, everybody's going to see you're nothing. And what does he say? Yes, I know, but do not speak of it. That's not what it says in the original. It says, hush! Be quiet. I don't want to hear it. I know what God has put in my heart, and I am not going to be detoured by your negative words that work against the purpose of God that he's already put in my heart and that I know that it's there and I'm going to keep on going and I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to the Lord. Are you with me on this? Sometimes you got to say no. Sometimes you got to stand up and say that's not right. We went to our, I'm going to, I'm sorry, this went way longer. I thought I could do it way quicker, but I'm going to tell you this story because I think you need to hear it. So we went out to Western Kansas, our first church. Loved the church, fell in love with the church, the people. It took me a year and a half to get over that place when we left. And some of the people that had been on staff here are out of that church. It's just such an unusual thing in Kobe, Kansas. And so I get there. The church was divided. The two pastors, previous two pastors, hadn't stayed lengthy time. And the church was 12 years old, but it had some splits. And a little town, I mean, that's just devastating. So I get there, and I'm 22, and I suspect they, they picked me. The board was divided. Initially, I told them I wasn't interested, and then the district superintendent said, oh, I think I've calmed the water. You ought to go. And so I was like, great. So um, I go there, and I get there, and I find out they're as divided as I thought and worse. So, you know, the first couple weeks you do, I'm kind of looking around the building, and there's, you know, rooms full of trash and stuff. It's just have been closets and clothing rooms and all this, so... I say to one of the retired guys, I say, he has a little Chevy Love pickup with the trailer. I say, hey, could you come by and we'll, board member, we'll load this stuff up, take it to the dump. He's like, sure. Come by, we load it up. We're riding out to the dump. So we're riding out there. He says, can I tell you something? I said, sure. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> so he's on my board. And I said, oh, and he said, can I tell you something else? I said, sure. He said, my wife didn't vote for you either. <laughs> so at least they're united. Um, so then we're going along, and I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, I'm 22. He says, can I tell you something else? And I can remember saying this. I said, you might as well. You're on a roll. And uh, he said, I don't think you're God's man, and I don't think you'll last six months. I said, well, can I tell you something? 
And he said, I suppose, just like that. I said, I do think I'm God's man for this church at this time. And I'm going to be here longer than six months. And you better learn to love me because I sure love you. And I changed. See, sometimes I changed his mind, but sometimes you just got to speak the truth. You got to be firm enough to say, hey, that's not, we're not talking that way. And that was my way of saying, I love you, but I am not going to ever agree with that kind of statement. When God speaks to you, believe it, walk in it. Don't let those voices, you know, listen, people can tell you fasting's a waste of time, or maybe you're telling yourself that. That's wrong. People can tell you the healings aren't real. I'm telling you, that's not true. People can say all kinds of things. You, you know, some of you have been fasting for somebody's salvation, and people say, oh, I don't know they'll ever get saved. Maybe you're telling yourself that. Listen, you started fasting because God put a desire in your heart. I mean, think of Sydney praying for her grandfather to be healed, and she's just like, I'm in, I'm on, I'm going to pray, 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 pray until it happens because one day it will. Sometimes you've got to be careful what voices you listen to. Let me give you one last principle. God delights in making desires a reality. They're walking along. We won't take time to read it. Chariots of fire. Chariot of fire comes. And Elijah is separated from Elisha, but Elisha is watching all of this. He sees Elijah go up in a whirlwind, in a vortex. And then it's gone. Except there's a cloak there. And he looks at that cloak, and he knows instantly what it means. But now, it's not what he can do. It's only what God can do. Ultimately, when God speaks to your heart and gives you a desire, and you pray it into existence, and you pray and believe it's yours, that it's God speaking to you, ultimately, you got to get yourself in a place where God either validates it or he doesn't. Took great faith. What Elijah is doing, what Elisha is doing is he gets to the river and he strikes it and he says, okay, God, this is what I've thought. This is where I'm at. Now, where are you in this? The waters go back. And he walks across. And all the critics who are criticizing him are all of a sudden saying, you know what? I think, I think he is something. The hand of the Lord is on him in the same way the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. You know what? I'm just here to tell you, God delights in giving you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And then, what does it say, verse 5? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that you mount up with wings like eagles. It's very similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 16, when Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Until now, you haven't asked anything. And he's telling him, listen, when I'm gone, there are going to be things in your heart. And when you ask, guess what? You're going to receive and your joy will be complete. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul. It makes your, your heart strong. Listen, God is speaking to you, 
And God, if he's speaking it to you, it's because he wants to do it. And if he wants to do it, guess what? The God who wants to will. The issue is, will you believe that? Will you believe that God can use you? Will you, will you in this moment say, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me? Will you say, God, you use ordinary people. You used a, you used a, a guy who was hot-tempered enough to, to call a curse down and bears mauled 42 youth. God, you use somebody like that. You use a discouraged guy. You use, God, you use all kinds of people. God will use anybody. The issue is, will those anybodies say yes to the one who can do more than we ask or imagine? Times two, double, double anointing, double portion. Do you want it? Do you want it? I said, I'm, I'm not kidding. Do you want it? 